0: Hi, welcome to another episode of Ed Up Explained with me, Ashanti Martin. In this episode, I had a conversation with Andre Pert. He is the CEO and co-founder of ConConnect. Andre was moved to start ConConnect after his own release from prison. The constraints and the struggles that he had with reentry led him back to prison to finish his term, even though he had been released for making good progress and good behavior in prison. What I love about ConConnect is that Andre is asking organizations to do better and offering organizations that help to do better. Uh, He wants, and I want too, people to really see formerly incarcerated people as more than menial workers. I will tell you, Both he and I were born and raised in Yonkers, New York, and I'm going to release a bonus episode about that, so stay tuned. But growing up, some of the smartest, most talented, creative, and innovative people I have known have served or are serving prison sentences, so ConConnect is really imperative right now when we are trying to make some serious reforms to our criminal justice system. Um, This is a great place to start, especially if you are an employer. Essentially, ConConnect helps organizations find people who are talent matches, again, for tech jobs, white-collar jobs, and runs the gamut. It also connects formerly incarcerated people with education and really guides companies in the process of becoming a fair-chance hirer. So if your company wants to get more involved help solve this issue. Please listen to this episode and go look for ConConnect and Andre Pert on LinkedIn. Thank you for joining. Let's get started. Definitely want to talk about ConConnect, but before we talk about Connect, I want to kind of just hear your backstory and what led you to, um, con connect you know like I mentioned I have you know grew up with many people who were in and out of jail who went to prison for you know long stretches of time um you know so tell me a little bit about your story and how it got you to where you are today
1: Definitely. so I mean as you know like I said around 16 17 I started like getting involved in like that gang culture I started going out. So let's say I started going outside more around like between 15 and 17 in, on Highland, right? So what going outside meant for me was going outside and ending up with people that were outside in the neighborhood, right? and Ended up doing what we were doing. And that was just like smoking weed, getting involved in like drugs and from smoking weed to saying, all right, we gotta make some money, you know, again, in order to selling drugs. And I went from, like I said, smoking weed to selling little drugs on the corner to just, I'm gonna say like this happened like overnight. Um, distributing i just i just really like went full-fledged and by 1819, i got into like drug trafficking really heavy not even just younger like sort of like the whole westchester county going up to like rockland county bringing like drugs back into the city and just really got into like that trafficking thing between, like just literally i watched myself scale now when i look back and watch myself literally just step outside so i smoking a little bit of weed watch myself smoke a little bit of weed to selling a little bit of weed to really like falling in love with that lifestyle that I, you know, was, it was new to me, with everything, everything that came with it, to selling a little bit of weed, to selling a whole lot of weed and just going like full-fledged, making it a business, right? And um, that's what I ended up doing. And, and I want to say from 19 all the way to about 22, that's, that was my life. My life was just selling marijuana full-fledged, you know, pounds day by day. And then as I hit, when once 21 came, that's when that gang violence started for me, right? And when I, I want to say like that gang violence started because um. As you know, anybody who's hip to this lifestyle, or anybody who knows anything about this lifestyle, you're not gonna make any type of money without bumping into issues, right? And that's even in the corporate world. You're not gonna make any money without bumping into competitors. So I look at it like that, right? So we bumped into our competitors, right? Or we bumped into you know people who just wanted the issues and gang violence started. But the difference was when this gang violence started, it wasn't just a little, you know, one, two thing. It wasn't just a, a month or a two month thing. This thing turned into like, again, if, as fast as that drug business started for me, the gang violence like even happened faster. Like it was gang violence to gun violence to my, my best friends were paralyzed. My oh, two friends are on my arm they're dead. You know, I got them tatted on my arm to more friends paralyzed to 2012 summer. You got 16 shootings in one week, police recovering 132 shell casings, you know, in our neighborhood, And like, it really turned into something that I never ever like, seriously, Ashanti ever seen my life going to especially like how I grew up, you know, I grew up with my mom coming from Jamaica, bringing me over here and stuff like that. Just raising young kids, like showed me a whole different life, never put me in the projects, worked really hard to keep me away from all that stuff. And then, like I said, it was just literally me stepping outside. Right. And that, that's what happened. So like just moving into that gang violence, you know, what happened, what came with that was, you know, was, like I said, what comes with drugs is the gang violence and what comes with the gang violence came prison. So it was just one night for me that, I was just with my, you know, with my past associates, right, the guys that I used to hang out with on Highland Avenue, it just turned into, that night we said, yo, we're going to go, go outside and get some liquor, that liquor turned into, hey, let's go smoke a little bit of weed, that turned into, I was at the gas station, refilling a car, seeing one of those dudes, one of the people that we had, had problems with, ended up shooting this kid at the gas station, super, you know, I want to say that I was really intoxicated that night, wasn't in the best place of mind and probably would have happened regardless because I was just so deep into that gang mindset at that time but for me that obviously 10 minutes later from that shooting I was in police custody and right there I was facing an attempt murder trial the marijuana was in the back of the car I was facing a trial for the drugs all these extra charges like came into play from so literally over the course of like me being from 16 straight living like an overnight life to 23 next you know 16 23 was like a bling by now I'm I'm Looking at a judge facing 10 murder charges, felony possession of a weapon, felony possession of marijuana. I got a public defender at this time, and I'm just, I don't even know what to do. You know, I really didn't know what to do. But um, going back into it, it sort of showed me again, right now, look at it from this side, sort of showed me the system when I had this public defender at first, getting everything ready, trying to find that right lawyer, you know, trying to get billed out. The numbers were higher, right? I had this public defender and already they were talking about 10 to 15. Right. And as soon as I was able to get um get not get that public defender, you know, get the money straightened out, get my lawyer. Um, we went through this case for about eighteen months, you know, preliminary hearings. And right before we were about to go to a trial, um, that's when I got an offer for of five years. And I said, you know, talk to my lawyer. And I was like, That's the best this is gonna get. Mm-hmm. Um, taking the intent murder charge because um, you know, God willing, the kid at that time he didn't cooperate with the police, didn't show up to a trial, and um didn't give any witness statement, which got that, you know, made it a lot easier for me to swing through that and mm-hmm. just end up really just popping out to the gun and being, a, taking this as a first time offender. Took the five years in Ashanti, I just ran with it, right? Took my time in from 2013, I, I went up to do five and a half years in state prison. And just Focusing on my college stuff, really so I like got out of the gang stuff. It really took me, a, it's once it took me, once I was away from it, I was able to change like literally again, mm-hmm. over just as quick as I got into it, I was able to change out of it sort of like overnight, right, in prison. What took me longer in prison to adapt to was just that I was 23 and that I was about to be sitting in prison. So being young in there, I was thinking about girls, I was thinking about summer times, missing out, thinking about my friends, school. That took me more to get over than it was for me to get over that I didn't want to leave the lifestyle. I got over that um, super quick. Yeah. So we're just, um, you know, doing my time, be able to stay to myself and just really changing like my health lifestyle, getting into like fitness. I was able to stay out of trouble, get no tickets, and two years later to get a letter from Albany saying, Hey, we're going to give you work release, give you a shot to get home early. And we're going to, prior to that, we're going to send you to Hell Creek Correctional Facility where I did six months in like an advanced super um, intake program that gets you like ready to get you out of that criminal thinking mindset. So I did that for six months, passed it, and then worked to a win- work release facility where I was able to stay in a prison that night. I had to sleep in a prison that night, but I was able to leave out of prison and go work for up to 14 hours a day in New York City. So um, my first month of that program, I was just like out interviewing, trying to get multiple different jobs, wasn't getting anything. One, I was still an inmate. Like I had to sleep in prison. too. I had this felony on my record. So I wasn't getting any of the jobs that I had tried to get when I first got out. Next, I ended up getting a job just um doing like maintenance at a gym, right? Just cleaning up the gym. To Hated it. Had me like cleaning toilets. I never did that before. You know, I was a trafficker prior to that. And then it was just this is just what I had to do. I did this for a whole year, right? Work release. The blessing in this was work release took my paychecks every two weeks and saved it for me. Took my paychecks every two weeks. Took eighty. They took twenty percent for themselves. Kept eighty percent for me. And after a year of working on work release, literally I did a whole year, twelve months. Next night, I had thirty days before my conditional earliest release date. I was about to go home. And what I did was I got too happy right on. What I did was I said, I'm going home and I started slipping. And giving them all that money, giving them my whole paycheck, I was like, you know, I'm my daughter, I'm out to be all of this and I gotta start getting stuff. I, I was like, I had this much money saved up, but I'm still broke. I still don't have anything. Like I'm still, they're leaving me with nothing. I st- I'm still going to see my daughters on some of these days that I'm on work lease, which is allowed. And it was literally one day that my daughter asked me to buy her pancakes from McDonald's and I had $3 on them. And that $3 could either have all of the pancakes or that was my $3 to get back on the train to get me back to the jail. If I don't get back to the jail, they put out a warrant for your arrest. So yep. I mean, that day really, that day like really sucked for me because I literally had to look at my daughter and not even tell her no because I was just so embarrassed. I just couldn't even get The whole point I couldn't get her pancakes. And that was like a breaking moment for me. Like, dang, McDonald's is right here. The pancakes are only two bucks. I can't even afford to get her that because they're keeping my money and I don't have any. So from that day forward, I made a decision that took no thinking. I said, I'm gonna get some drugs, man. I, I won't do it for long. i do it for just these last 30 days while I'm in here and then I get off. Did that, went back to the jail, got called the drugs. Probably the same week I thought that I was gonna do it. Same week, I didn't, I didn't even last long. I had lost the flow anyway, I wasn't good at it. Got caught in the jail, they said, what are you doing? You just did 12 months here. You did really well, no problems. You have 28 days left and this is what you do. And drugs are a super serious offense in prison. It was the highest ticket I can get. They literally, took the program away from me. My condition, my earliest condition of release date was taken and they sent me back to state prison to do the whole rest of my time. So mm-hmm. all my good time went back to state prison to finish the rest of my time. That must've
0: been really hard. That, yeah, that was
1: all, hard. All the, yeah, that was hard. That was probably the hardest moment of the five years that I did was literally you knowing I had the 20 something days left and then I was going back to prison for a possible a whole another year and just being out. So, you know, I took it, right? I took it, went back to prison, it's one thing about me as Sean, is one thing that when I do wrong and I know it's me, I I'm, I don't got self pity for myself. I knew what I was doing, so it's more like now deal with the consequences. Yeah, you know, I'm just I'm as of myself as I am with people, and it's like I'm gonna deal with the consequences. I did this, I'm not gonna cry about it, I'm not gonna call and ask for help, I'm not gonna make even too much complaining. I did this, I did it, I'm going back to prison. So, their thing was 20% they kept. 80% they would hold for you until you, the program was done. And then the, we, they'd give you just money to get to work and to get food. But then they give you these family days, right? To, and then they give you movie passes. But it's like, all right, you gave me family days and movie passes, but again, you only give me money to get to work, get to my family, and that's really it. So I mean, when I get to my family, are they supposed to like, just take care of me all the time? And, and yeah, they have this thing at work really saying, hey, your family will provide, but how much can my family provide, right? Seventy. When comes, let's look at the numbers, right? Seventy percent of individuals coming out of prison are of low-income communities and low-income families. So, how much could they have provided for me? So, work release thing was we give you an allowance, which was probably a hundred bucks for the two weeks. I live in New York City. There's nothing mm-hmm. else I need to say. So, a hundred bucks. That's done before you even blink your eyes.
0: Started. Um, you know, it's just very ironic to me that now, you know, in 2021 like basically that first three years of your life where you were just focused on, you know, selling weed um, is now technically legal in a lot of states, you know. So it's like, you know, what brings on the violence? Um, And and that's where I have a real issue with people understanding these things, because, you know, I always say for every like 50 Cent Jay-Z who who you know, came out the hood and, you know, did all the stuff that we're talking about and now we're billionaires. You know, you could have a lot of, you know, private equity analysts at Goldman Sachs or whatever who are just there making a salary, you know, making $150,000, whatever. You know, my point is that, you know, talk more about how this is really a, a business and how your business skills that led you to, to, to that place how you're using them now how your business skills what what do they say transferable skills talking about how your skills um, have transferred and i know a lot of it has to do with what you said just those personal characteristics you have but i want to know like the actual skills and the mechanics of of how running a business works running that kind of business and how it's going to work for you now
1: yeah so I'll, I'll go into that. So I ran an um, operated a weed business. And when I say I operated the weed business, I was basically the head of my own um, weed operation business. I was just really, really smart at being able to look at my neighborhood. Like, so I looked at my neighborhood as like marked like different sales funnels, right? You know, we have a four block neighborhood, right? And each, let's say, let's say we have a six i how can I look at it? Trying kind to of re envision my neighborhood right now. So Mm -hmm. it's four major blocks, right? Highland, Stanley, Jackson, and Ludlow. So let's say we have all these four blocks and each one of these four major blocks had a lot of traffic, right? When I said we have, but there's one, there was always this one center, Stanley Avenue, where that's had the most traffic. That's where everybody would go to look for their weed. That's where everybody would go to look for all their drugs, to get everything from the stores that they couldn't get from other stores, you know? But then there was always traffic going through all these other blocks, right? And people looking for the same things just not as heavy as they were looking at it on stanley avenue uh-huh. so i looked at it in a business aspect i said okay there's still money in all these avenues so if you look at it from a business standpoint now it's like i may have one form of revenue on con connect which would be subscriptions right um recruiters and organizations pay monthly revenue to stay on con connect but what other forms of revenue there's other ways where am i not catching my audience so i am catching my audience on linkedin but what other ways can i catch this audience because i know most of my clients are on linkedin but there's still a few on all these other social media tunnels that I'm not catching. So I looked at it like from that standpoint, eight years ago on the weekend, and I said, you know, I started placing certain individuals on all these other blocks where there was slider traffic to see how much money, would, how much more money could we generate on a monthly basis if we just stayed off Stanley Avenue, or if we stayed on Stanley Avenue, but also added four extra checkout lanes, right? Let's call them checkout lanes. Let's add four extra mm-hmm. checkout lanes to the neighborhood and see how much more money we make per month. And in three months, we noticed we we were making, I always remember this number, we were making 44 extra thousand dollars every three months by just opening up more checkout lanes. For me, the next step of expansion, again, for me was like, okay, this is still neighborhood drug dealing. This Mm -hmm. is still, yeah, it's a lot of of different corners. Yeah, it's a lot of drugs coming in, but I still felt local, right? My business was still a local business. And I was like, all right, how can I go global? How can I expand? How can I open up more checkout lanes in more places that I'm not? So, again, just like any company, you know, just like I expanded ConConnect Connect, now I expanded, said, we're in New York City, we're in a tri state area, New York City, Connecticut, New Jersey. And if you look at it from a business point, that's probably local because, you know, that's a business, that's just a tri state area. Yeah. It's three cities. So I said, hey, how can I expand? Right. What for Connect, what's my easiest, simplest way to expand? And the way that was for me with Connect was going to other states and going with the biggest of my Customers, right? When I say that, meaning the biggest nonprofits in those states that I wanted to expand, because when you hit the biggest nonprofits and you close on them, you just closed on really three nonprofits at one time. Why? Because the biggest nonprofits always have the smaller nonprofits following in what they do. So once you get that one big nonprofit, like let's say the five ventures in New York City, they're a big nonprofit. Once you get them on board, three or four nonprofits that follow in what they do or that really look up to them have just now signed up to ConConnect as well. Because they did it. So I post four deals in one. So for me, going back to the drug game, it was like, where do I want to be? I have connections in Rockland County. So I mm-hmm. said, you know, I got connections in Rockland County, and this connection I have is really a big connection. This is a popular person out there. That's how I looked for expansion for me back in the day. It was more like, let's find somebody up there who has that reach or who has that potential to reach these people, reach this market, and let's get them on board. And that's, what, and that's how we started to expand. That's how we got into like Rockland County. And other areas, and I didn't look at it going into New York City because at that time, New York City, that was like the competitor. We're not going to go. We're not going to go mess around because it, it was too messy. So the best way of expansion was Westchester County, and let's go Rockland County, and let's move after Rockland County. Let's take. Let's go further upstate with it too as well. But let's first take. Let's first try to expand through Westchester, and that's what we started doing, connecting with the biggest projects in Mount Vernon and White Plains. The biggest. So with the most. Let's say the most dangerous projects. The most well-respected. And we'd reach that. We'd try to see if we can get a connection there. If they were somewhere, maybe they were closer. They were allies with somebody in our neighborhood. Our neighborhood is a Crip neighborhood, so if they were if they were Crips, it was easy to get into. Um, it was a way easier to get that connection, right? right. So those well respected neighborhoods, those well respected projects, get them on board, and now we've just opened up another funnel of money to come through by just making that a connection and coming to an agreement on how we were going to split this money.
0: For you know, you having been in the game, and then like you said, it just kind of once the violence started, it just escalated. What do you think is the um, you know, if we're making an analogy, you know, between the illegal drug selling game and and business, quote unquote legitimate business, what's the analogy for you know, when people do take it to the streets and do take it to physical violence and weapons, you know, in, in, quote unquote, legitimate business.
1: Being in the corporate world for a lot more being in accelerators and like being around like venture capitalists. I want to say that now I see that things can get just almost message just on just as sheisty, right? So let's say I wouldn't want to call it violent
0: mm-hmm. because
1: in the corporate world, they're not, you know, when you see violence happening in the corporate world, it's usually some crazy. Yeah. Conflict.
0: It still is violence though. I mean, yeah. at it's the a, end of the day.
1: Some violence that maybe a CEO, CEO did or stole some money and stuff like that. Or, and, you know, ends up doing something with one of his employees that's wrong. Or just like we've seen like in these movies where some of these super executives have all these women in their companies doing stuff and, you know, doing things that are wrong and making them do this to get ahead. And- yeah. all these un- Or, or oh. even like
0: Amazon, not letting its employees, you know, pee during the work day. Like that's it pretty is, violent.
1: You know, yeah, stuff like that. Not like like there you go, just like Amazon. at plan, um, their employees peter on a workday. Things like that that don't make sense. Like company culture that doesn't match up with always. You know, just just like companies that always are big on customers, 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 but never big on their employees, right? At all, nothing is nothing is nothing is catered to their employees. That's violent right there. I've, I've worked for companies where it's is like you literally just work there. That's bad, right? When you literally just work at a place, you do nothing but you work there. You clock in. You clock out. Nothing is there. Nothing. There's nothing to benefit you but that simple paycheck. Everything is simply catered around the just the customer because the company mission. That's when. It, that's when you know a CEO's mission is strictly just revenue, 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 and it's not really nothing about the. It's not re, nothing about his team or the employers because there's no incentives whatsoever for the employees other than they just can say they have a job, right? And that's where like company culture comes in and stuff like that, which like with my mentor, he tells me a lot, you know, you have to shape the culture of your company. Company culture, I mean, you, do you work for a company with bad culture? Is it, is it like a violent atmosphere? Can you mm-hmm. not be? Are you just going clocking and clocking out? Are you at work every day thinking like, oh my God, if I say the wrong, if one of these customers come in and they have a bad day and I just don't give them mayonnaise on their toast, I'm losing my job. Yeah. Because they said, this person did give me any mayonnaise on my toast and I'm infuriated. And then it's, the customer is always right. You lost your job. Mm-hmm. So, yeah,
0: I, I got an Instacart order the other last week. And man, when I tell you this dude messed up my order, he just like gave me the wrong pickles. He gave me the wrong toothpaste. He gave me the wrong soda. Like it was a mess. And my husband was like, oh, well, why don't you, you know, complain and and maybe we'll get, um, you know, get the whole thing free. And as appealing as that is to me, You know, I, I just couldn't bring myself to know that, you know, me and my little complaint because I didn't get the right brands of stuff could lead to, to this man losing his job. Like I, I, I couldn't, um, you know, so I, I feel you when you talk about that environment. And I think that people should think about that more often.
1: Yeah. Yeah, The last thing I could say is literally just, just like they say, hostile work environment, right? If you have a hostile work environment, that's just violent. So that's compared to like that, you know, all the street stuff and, you know, the drugs going into the gang stuff. But, you know, when it comes to the streets, like I said, my my look, outlook right now, literally I'm real. like I said, I'm really transparent with myself, really transparent with people. And I know what it takes to like really get ahead. And it's hard, you know, getting ahead of life, especially coming home from prison. But I thought, I look at the streets like this, like it's a waste of time, right? Mm -hmm. It really, it really is a waste of time. But Another thing that I've learned is you cannot, you cannot blame men and women for things that they do not know. Mm-hmm. Right? You cannot blame men and women for things they do not know. You can't, I cannot look at my brothers and sisters and say, yo, they out here doing this dumb shit that I was doing out here, you know, effing up their lives and shooting shit and doing all this and hurting each other and this is, we're killing our own people because it's all wrong, right? It's all wrong, it's all bad. But when you literally grow up and you've seen that growing up and that's what's around growing up and you're in a neighborhood like that and that's all it is, that's what you're going to end up doing. Just like in these white neighborhoods, people grow up and they see their fathers and moms in soups, their Mm -hmm. fathers and moms, friends are networkers, executives, venture capitalists, investors, doctors, lawyers, this and that, community centers. So they see that growing up and that's what they become, right? So I grew up in a neighborhood and became what I've seen. My my friends, my some of my clients, some of my my friends who are white, some of my friends who are just well off, they grew up and became what they seen.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think um I when I lived in Yonkers, you know my my parents left um the neighborhood Body Hurt and Warburton, um when I was fourteen, and you know they did that because it was very easy to see how things could go, um but you know, my parents had the privilege of being able to pick up and move to a different place, you know, and um, that not everybody has that, you know. Okay. Um, so so let's talk about ConConnect. And I know that um, you have done a really good job in raising funding for ConConnect. And I think I read that you participated in an accelerator or two. So give me your, um, your elevator pitch for ConConnect.
1: So what ConConnect is a social network geared at advancing formerly incarcerated and the people who work alongside them. So when I say ConConnect advances the formerly incarcerated, it's a professional social network that allows formerly incarcerated to get connected with services, employers, and also have community, but also have a community that can inspire them. Not that they could Socialized with right and that's why that's why we really i'm really big on calling it professional social network now why it advances the people who work alongside them because the people who work alongside the formerly incarcerated are re-entry leaders re-entry professionals and fair chance employers and the more that they're advanced the more formerly incarcerated the people are going to be advanced because if you have service providers that are not advanced then how can they help these individuals when they come out because every non-profit every nonprofit in whatever state are the first first places other than parole that men and women are seeing when they come out. Men and women go to parole, next thing they end up at one of these nonprofits, one of these rancher organizations, one of these government agencies, which a lot of them lack technology, a lot of them lack in all different aspects. Mm -hmm. But again, if they're not advanced, then how can the formerly incarcerated people get advanced? So, which is why we're the first professional social network that's good at doing that, advancing ranchery through technology and data and just really, really solving a problem that I had, right? So my, my issue is I came home after doing the five and a half years and had to navigate through New York City's reentry. Meaning that for me was, first I ended up in a homeless shelter because docs didn't approve my address. And then when they did approve my address, they said, no, we're not gonna approve it because it's in a red zone. And a red zone is any low income neighborhood. Any neighborhood that drugs are getting sold in mm. is a red zone. So
0: I mean, where are you supposed to live in Yonkers? <laughs> like if if you're gonna be anywhere yeah. close to like your family or whatever like that's a lot of those 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 non-red zone places that are, place
1: are hard that that we're not at and that's yeah a, that's right a parent, right any place that's so again the thing is if it's get, if there's drugs getting sold it's a red zone well if you guys weren't aware there's drugs getting sold in every low-income community so and if 80% of people coming home of prison are from low-income communities, I'm guessing you're telling 80% of us that we're going to be homeless, and which is the, which is just the truth, right? So I ended up I ended up homeless, Ashanti, and I came home. So that was that was one. I never was homeless. Now I'm homeless. Hmm. So I got to get a house. I got to get housing. Two was I had all the stipulations that parole mandated me to. Oh, you need drug abuse treatment. you Need anger management, and get a job within 60 days. we going back to state prison. So I got those three stipulations. I got my own personal thing that I need a house, my other personal. I gotta learn how to be a dad, because I never I'm just meeting my daughter for the first time after all these years in prison. So I got personal matters and then I got mandated things that I know will help me. But again, they're they're mandated, they're mandated at that time. So it's more like, how do I navigate through all this stuff? And then I only got $40 that the New York State prison left me with that was done the same day I came home from prison. So now I'm broke, do, now I'm broke doing everything that all these everything you guys asked me to do, I'm broke doing it. So yeah. That was, that was the first thing. So, the other only help was again, the shelter. Oh, we give you metric cards to get one place per day. So, two metric cards, one to get somewhere and one to get back to us. But I have five stipulations. I got five things that I got to get done. And I got 60 days to do it. Mm. That was the one breaking point for me was more like, damn, like re entries. Like, looking there now, coming home from prison, like seeing everybody else do it and hearing how hard it was, I always thought like, Maybe I thought, no, it can't, it's hard, but you know, it can get done if you really. But no, you, you can put your mind to it, and yeah, they get done. But this is something you're gonna put your mind to, and it's gonna get done. It's a lot. It's gonna take. It's still gonna take a lot of work, right? It takes more work than it should for me to be forming cars, where they come home and have to really struggle like that just to get just just to live and just to eat. So yeah,
0: like- technology can make everything easier. So why think- not? You know, and it's I often. Wonder. I mean, I I don't know to what extent it's intentional, but it just feels like that system is designed to make life m- even more challenging for you to 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 get ahead, you know. Exactly. So why not? So the thing you come and you're saying, no, there's a better way to do this. So talk about the tech and the yeah. data behind um, what you're doing and how that's different.
1: Yeah. So basically, after basically witnessing that, I just basically said, you know what, there got to be a better way to, like you said, to just really. Navigate and find all these resources, and I decided that technology, being really into technology when I was younger, I said technology makes every other industry better, it makes them more efficient, makes them more money. So what can it do for reentry? Because right now this shit sucks, and it needs to get better. And then I just came across LinkedIn, being on LinkedIn, and thought of it. You know, and what if I can remake this whole platform for formerly incarcerated individuals to get them connected with service providers, fair chance employers, and everything that I know I needed and Everything that somebody else might need when they come home 10 times quicker because if I can access all these things off my phone and if I can find community and find something that helped me become more of a professional, in my life, my life would have went a lot better. My story that I told you today wouldn't be as bad as it was if I just had technology that was willing to help me. So I went along and said, You know what? I'm going to make Con Connect, I'm going to make a, a professional social network. Now I'm not going to make Facebook where we're going to socialize for girls and guys, I'm going to make a network where my, my brothers and sisters can come home from prison and just like really get ahead like really find those those service providers get connected with them the same day message them find fair chance employers and you know get a network where they can showcase what they need what they've accomplished and just who they are today right not give their criminal backgrounds away we don't do that on connect and then the data part is just we use all the data that we gather on connect to not sell it to anybody to not give it to Anybody for any negative purposes, not any government agency. We use all that data to figure out where is re-entry lacking at. Just like every other mm-hmm. industry uses data to advance their industry, to make more money, to make it more efficient. We use this data finally to figure out, okay, where is reentry lacking? Where can we use the data and make it more efficient? What's more, what other solutions do we need now? Where what other technology can we build within Con Connect to keep advancing this platform and to keep solving the solution? We have right because we have a vision that we want to you know if, it, if we know that 54 percent of individuals are going back to prison from not finding these resources in an efficient manner then we can cut that number in half by giving these people an efficient way to navigate through these resources and to find these resources because 63 percent of individuals coming home from prison may not have anything else but they will have a cell phone within their 60 days just like i had a cell phone my same week, I was in a homeless shelter and had nothing else. I said, you know what? That's the first thing a lot of individuals can going to have. And if they have a cell phone, that means they can get access to connect. And with access to connect, gave access to everything that a person was just going to need. You know, I just didn't want people to go through that same trouble that I went through, right? I didn't want people bouncing around whatever state they were in looking for reentry, looking for an employment, or just looking for housing, or just trying to have a community to just lean on. You know, I didn't want that for people to have to go looking for that when you come into prison. You ready yeah. to do Looking in prison. You did enough waiting, sitting around. So why you got to wait and sit around more when you get home. It was more like that's something that should have been done. So, you know, here today, that's what we're doing.
0: Nice. Um, so tell me what is used the term fair chance employer. Can you tell me what is a fair chance employer? And then also how can organizations, whether nonprofit or corporate work with ConConnect?
1: So what I label a fair chance employer is is any employer that's just willing to give you know formerly incarcerated a fair shot at getting an employment? And I don't say getting employment within their company, meaning within the minimum wage department, within the warehouse, meaning cleaning up the toilets. I mean a fair chance employer to me is somebody who's giving you know opportunity to all levels, right? Whatever roles they have open within that company, whether it's program manager, whether it's director, senior director of whatever, I mean that former incarcerated should have a fair chance at applying to those jobs, getting called in, getting the proper interview, and seeing if their skills qualify, not saying, not saying, oh, they're formerly incarcerated, they're less of a human being, so I need to put them in the warehouse. Hey, I need to put them where they're not going to be seen. Hey, let me put them in a janitorial suit. So that's what a fair chance employer is to me. And um, as far as organizations, government organizations, and, you know, employers and corporations, We work, how ConConnect works for them is we just literally the same, what we offer to the former incarcerated, we offer them a network that caters to the audience they want. So if they're an organization, they're looking to serve these this audience all the time. They're looking to serve the clients that they're dealing with. They're looking to find referrals and other resources for the clients. We offer that all on ConConnect. And for employers, they need a platform where they can find candidates and, and not figure out what these candidates were arrested for, not figure out or how much time they did in prison. They just needed a platform finally that they can go and recruit and hire people based off what they're doing. Not right not not, not what they've done. And that's our slogan, at context So we allow recruiters to see what they've done, what organizations they've partnered with, how many jobs they've had since they've been home, resumes. We let them see everything they're currently doing because it's all verified.
0: Tell me about a a success story for Con Connect. It, it can be a, a person or an organization, whatever it is that you identify as like, yes, this was a big win for us.
1: So I would say the biggest win right now, so Connect, we're, we're releasing our beta in late May of 2021. And I wanna say the biggest win, other than just you know being able to get the, the app like funded and get it under development, the biggest one was really getting into the latest accelerator. So it was two wins, like one win we had when Verizon picked us up for the accelerator about a month ago, but even bigger win than the biggest one yet was when the Center for Black Innovation, you know, reached out to us and picked us, picked up me and Cognac for this accelerator. And right now we're, we're you know, we're like working really hard to develop me as an executive, develop the company, we're, and we're getting invested, ready to go for another round of, you know, for our most, probably our most, I want to say our most serious To date, round of funding. So, that we're going to be asking for in June. So, that's our biggest win is that we've been accepted, that we're going to be going in front of investors, asking for the most money that we asked for yet. And, you know, that we're just here, that we're actually going to launch and that, you know, that we're ready.
0: You have people listening who might be decision makers. If an employer wants to get involved with you, what should they do? If they want to support or participate, fund, whatever, what should they do?
1: Well, if an employer ever wants to participate, the first thing they should do is foremost sign up to Connect as a connection and literally sign up their company, get on boarded, and that'll give them early access and basically let the, the system know that, all oh, right, another employer has signed up to get engaged with Contact. So when we launch in May, they can start recruiting. But even to move faster than that is, any employer, any recruiter that wants to get this this fair chance hiring thing started now, that wants to inquire or learn more about really what it takes to, not just hire the formerly incarcerated, but work better alongside them and vice versa after that hiring process, they can get directly in contact with me. You know, I'm definitely open to giving my email out, getting connected on LinkedIn, you know, signing up to Con Connect, and it's easy, it's just super easy to find me.
0: Are you working with currently and, and most actively seeking partnerships with like people and employers who are already in this industry or? How, how are you planning to reach out to companies who maybe, don't, you know, don't, don't have programs in place, I guess, to, to hire the formerly incarcerated? Um, you know, what work can be done to get more companies to see that this is talent that you're, you're missing out on?
1: So we decided that the way to do that is education and influence, right? for First and foremost, these companies that are not doing it to be educated, on it and be influenced to do it. And how we're doing that is we built an e-learning platform called ConCourses that we've integrated with ConConnect. And this works in three ways. It's education and influential courses for people that are involved in human resources and hiring of the formerly incarcerated. And for those that are not and want to learn a lot more about it. So we're we're currently building out that platform. so And we're going to launch it with ConConnect when ConConnect launches. But we're also going to launch it as a separate platform so we can catch employers and corporations that Have always had that you know even if they didn't have that interest the the world we're in now too is sort of everything trends and things are happening things are making a turn right Mm now it may have all happened from bad stuff but the thing is things are happening now so Mm -hmm. we created the platform where they'll be able to learn a lot more about fair chance hiring what it takes how you know all the good it causes what social impact they'll be doing as employers and just why doing it is 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 all good and really nothing bad
0: Yeah, I think that there are probably a lot of decision makers out there who have read about this and, you know, want to get involved or or have thought about how they can do it, but maybe didn't know where to start. And um, I'm hoping that, uh, you know, ConConnect is the start of of putting together how they just as, you know, kind of making the reentry process easier for people coming out of prison making it easier for companies to, to, to know how, know where to start, you know, and get this talent. So before I'm going to ask you for some closing um, thoughts before we um, wrap up. So is there anything that you want to get out there or add on to?
1: Yeah. And no, I mean, I just want to, I always just want to say, you know, for any formerly, formerly incarcerated people, Um, like I said, this network of ConConnect, it was really, really, really created to, Really like bring people into this network and really make them professionals because I don't believe that individuals prior to when they were kids nobody grows up really saying they want to clean toilets, they want to work at a warehouse, they want to get a CDL and drive trucks. There's very few people that grow up and do that. But I see that when men and women come home from prison, that's usually where they end up at and that's usually where they stay at. I really want to really want to say that that's not where it should be. There's should former incarcerated should come home and be able to like still be able to chase that dream, still be able to live the life, still be able to, if they wanted to be a doctor, lawyer, whatever you wanted to do. And if you, or if you just wanted to have a regular good life and, you know, get a house and do that, that shouldn't be stopped, right? Just because you've had that that, that criminal record. So connect is really out there to change that, really, you know, get you connected to those services. And we're just in the beginning, I have like a really steep, steep professional vision for Conconnick and changing reentry. And actually, you know, I just want people to know that, right? Forming incarcerated that, you know we're kind of connect I, I give them a better shot we give them a better shot
0: of the many people who I grew up with and have um, you know served time or are currently serving time every single one of them is has incredible talents um, and I it is my hope that more employers who can who can who create these jobs um, recognize that. So, Andre, I also just want to say I hope this doesn't come across as pedantic, but um, you know, as a as a Yonkers um, old head, I'm very proud of you. Um, and it's just, you know, it's really good to see somebody from uh, from my city doing something so innovative and something that's going to really help people who need it. So, congratulations.
1: Thank you, Ashanti, and I appreciate, I mean, I appreciate you bringing me here to talk about it and to talk with you, and it's good, you know, I'm happy that I'm able to speak with somebody from my city, because I love Yonkers, and I know you do, too, I mean, this is really good and exciting for me.
0: Yeah, I love Yonkers, too, you know, I, you know, it depends, you know, it depends on what um, part of my life you asked me, but now that, you know, uh, I think that I'm, I've am i come to appreciate, you know, the ways that it has, um it has equipped me for life, so, So thank you. Thank you, Andre. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. Please subscribe to EdUpExplained so you won't miss when the next episode drops. Also, check out edupexplained.com and click shows to find more great podcasts. Thanks for listening. Bye.